Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, is this one? Ooh, new one's working. That's nice. Lovely to see you all. Welcome, visitors. Um, those who don't know me, my name's Matt, one of the pastors here at the church. Um, it is a joy to be gathered. Well done, you lot, for turning out this morning. This is like the also-ran service, isn't it? Because we're all coming this evening. But well done, you lot. Um, and bless you guys who didn't and are watching at home. We, we still love you. We still love you. <laughs> Shall we pray before we uh, turn to God's word together? <laughs> uh, Lord, we just pause for a moment and before we unpack this extraordinary passage, we pray you would make it anew for us this morning. It's one we have read so many times, but Lord, your word is living and changes our lives. So come and do it again this morning, we pray. Come and speak to every heart here. We invite you by your Holy Spirit to move, Lord. We're open to that. Come and speak clearly, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if we can bring up the PowerPoint. Thanks, Tina. We are coming into land on our final... um, Let's wait for it. Wait for it. Uh, Our final... I'll carry on. So it's over to Paul. There it is. Look, almost... That's nice. Yay! Well done, that man. Good job. Paul, brand new, learning at the bat. You're doing an excellent job, my friend. Thank you. Um, our Experiencing Christmas sermon series. Experiencing Christmas through their eyes, looking again at the Christmas story, thinking what would it really have felt like. Um, and this morning, I want to talk to you, um, and have called it, Tidings of Comfort and Joy. Yes, you've already gone to the carol, haven't you? Before we start... If I were to show you this word, what would that mean to any of you? Would you know what that means? Would you have any idea how to pronounce it? Would anyone like to try? If you know, put your hand down. We'll ask you in a minute. (laughs) I want to see their efforts first, Angela. Anyone want to try and pronounce this lovely word for me? All together, after three, I'm going to say three, and we're all going to say what we think it is. One, two, three. (laughs) That was brilliant. Hagiga hugus, yeah. I think that is inaccurate, uh, very inaccurate, actually. Um, it's huga. Is that right, Angela? Am I right? Huga. It is a Danish word, roughly translates as coziness. Danish have developed a whole life philosophy about prioritising and nurturing coziness and rest. Huga, meaning to comfort and console. It's a way of doing life where you create warm and cosy atmosphere that enables you to enjoy the good things the quieter things, snuggled up with people you care about. And actually, whether we call it huga or not, uh, that was accurate, if you're wondering. Um, At this time of year, amidst the chaos and stress of Christmas shopping and all the pressure, one of the things we naturally do, I think, as the nights draw in and the temperature drops, is we seek to create this comfort and rest in our homes, don't we? We do our own bit of huga, whether we realised it was called that or not. Bit of Christmas huga. Soft music and snuggly blankets and warm candles and twinkly lights and knitted socks and cosy fires and mulled wine. Now you kind of know what huga is. Who likes a bit of huga? (laughs) Yeah, isn't it nice? We all like a bit of that. It's interesting. There is clearly a longing for this sense of rest and comfort. Books on Huga 
have exploded in popularity in recent years. It is all over social media, as I know you tech-savvy lot well know. Huga is everywhere. Something inside people is looking for a sense of calm or of comfort in our busy technological world. Something longs to strip back the complexities and all the hollow words and find a truer peace. Longs to pause the chaos and find real rooted rest. Something feels missing in our human condition. Huga, I think, is just one of the attempts to find it. I wonder, did you ever find yourself longing for a deeper sense of true rest in the chaos of life? I know I can. I know I do. I want to say to you this morning, this rest isn't just possible. What you long for isn't just possible. It's actually what we were created for. Now, Hugo is lovely, but that's not my sermon this morning. Go buy some knitted cushions and some twinkly lights. That's not where we're going with this. The rest I want to talk about is far deeper and far more beautiful. And the truth is, you were made to know it. In fact, you're actually created to live and dwell in this rest. It doesn't mean life's always going to be easy and we'll get on to that. But you were made to know the rest that the world is longing for. And until you know it, you're always going to be longing for it. It's not found in woolen jumpers and cosy fires, as beautiful as they are. This rest is found at the heart of the Christmas story. In one sense, we all know that, don't we? Because we've been singing Christmas carols about it for hundreds of years. Each generation singing to the next. That At the heart of the Christmas story, folks, is a life-changingly significant peace. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, from hems all gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing, conjures up these feelings of peace and possibility. But I wonder, do we really know it ourselves? Or is it just a fantasy, much like that insipid Dickensian depiction of Christmas there that probably never existed? Although I quite like it, I'll be honest. If that was on a biscuit tin, I'd buy it. You all would as well, wouldn't you? But does this rest really exist? Because the carols don't give up reminding us about it. As they declare that the angels sung of peace that was possible, of rest for the restlessness. One of my favourite carols of all. And I have a few handful of Odd ones that aren't necessarily the mainstream ones. This is pretty mainstream, maybe secondary. God, rest you merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. That's literally what it's called. For 400 years, it's an old one. It's an old English one. We've been singing of tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Nice, Mark. We could make a nice little duet, my friend. Actually, let's not. Yeah, ready for tonight. Good. Interestingly, I think this carol's often misunderstood and mistranslated. We put the comma in trying to work out this first sentence in the wrong place and we change the word rest to bless 
And so we end up going, God bless you, comma, merry gentlemen. God bless you, merry people. And it kind of means, God bless you, drunkards. <laughs> and that's not what it means <laughs> at all. It's actually uh, from an old English phrase that we still almost have in our dialect. I love this. The phrase was, God rest you merry. God rest you merry. The word rest meaning keep you and hold you. Like the phrase, rest assured. It was used in lots of different ways. Rest thee sure. Rest thee well. Rest thee fair. May God rest thee merry. Let nothing you dismay. Merry here meaning happy and well in a good place. It's actually saying God keep you rooted and swerving in his deep contentment. May he hold you in his peace this Christmas time and always. For there really are tidings of both comfort and joy to be found in the Christmas story for every restless soul. So as we begin to say, Matt, okay, where is this rest Where is it found? I want to turn, and will you turn with me to the most familiar and comforting scenes in the whole Christmas story. It begins like this. And in that region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds resting gently under a starlit sky with their snoozing, cosy, woolly sheep. With the smell of wood smoke as they all snuggle round a warming campfire. It is the perfect picture of Huga, isn't it? How many of us might love the idea of joining them that night? Surely this is a picture of the simple life and the rest that we all long for. Forgive me as I pop that bubble. For as Huga as we might like to pretend this scene is, it's actually far from a scene of rest. It's actually a scene of utter restlessness, where we picture a cosy pastoral scene, early hearers of the Gospels would have had a very different understanding of what was going on here. See, shepherding was once a noble occupation. I did research for it in part of my studies. Um, It was extraordinarily significant in the nomadic tribes that wandered around the ancient Near East. The chief shepherd was not only the chief shepherd of the sheep, but also of the people And you think of the great forefathers in scripture of Abraham and Moses. Shepherding was part of their identity. And you look at ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs and you see the mighty pharaohs. What are they holding? They're holding a shepherd's crook. A symbol of authority and power and leadership. But by Jesus' day, that had totally changed. The job had become despised. As towns and cities grew and culture changed and became more rooted, watching over the sheep became a job for the outsider. It was hard and miserable and lonely work. It was done by the poorest of the poor, those who had no other choice but tried to scrape out a living in this way. This hard, transient, precarious, zero-hour contract, if you like, as they look after the gathered sheep of the local community. The sad thing was that by the very nature of their commitment to the flock, It also meant they were unable to keep ceremonial laws, unable to enter temples. They were widely regarded as godless and sinful men. In fact, so distrusted were the types that took on this role that they became outcasts 
among the communities, commonly thought of as thieves and crooks. Be careful, the shepherds are in town. Watch your bag. It's no mistake that the Bible in that region, uh, the Bible says that in that region there were shepherds out in the fields. That's where they belonged. Whilst others were in, cosy in their bed, sleeping, shepherds were out in the cold, huddled around the fire, stamping their feet and rubbing their hands together in a different depth. Desperate effort to stay warm. Most others were in, resting safely. The shepherds were out, desperately trying to keep awake and alert and on guard. Wired, if you like. Open for the unexpected, the robber, the wolf. Trying to stop all being stolen away. It's not an idyllic scene, but a scene of precarious poverty. Of the hated outcasts on the margins, scraping out a living by doing what nobody else wanted to do. It's literally not a scene of rest. It is a scene of literal restlessness. And I think it's far from a coincidence that of all the people God could have chosen to tell about his promised rest, it was these shepherds. The most transient and unsettled, restless people of all. God reaches out to them to draw them into his rest. I also think there's a truth here And in many ways, it's a physical picture of our own spiritual condition without God. No matter how we dress up our lives, no matter what nice things we say or do without God, we live on the margins of who we were created to be. Without God, the human heart and condition is one of outsider, precarious, exhausted, Without God, we're trapped in our sin, longing for a different way, longing for a deeper peace. And yet, we're trapped outside of the rest we were created to know. It's not just our generation. This has always been the experience of the human heart. Come back with me 1,600 years to St. Augustine of Hippo, one of the great early church leaders in the 4th century, put it this way, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Without God, our hearts are restless. What then can we do? We know we are missing something. We know we long for it to change. We sense the deep desire within our hearts for this rest. We cannot access it for all the hygge in the world. We long to be in, but our natural condition tells us that we recognise we are out, separated from the one true source of rest. Come back even further, 2,700 years to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who in chapter 64 writes with utter restlessness, longing for a solution to this problem. Oh, that you would rend the heavens... And come down. Tear the heavens, Lord, and come down, that the mountains would then tremble before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no eye has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. You come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we, that's all of us, continue to sin against them, your ways, you were angry. How then can we be saved? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. You are so far away 
in your glorious heaven and we are trapped here in our mortal sin. If only you would tear the heavens and come and help us. Friends, you know where I'm going. Isn't that the most extraordinary Christmas passage? (laughs) Because almost incomprehensibly, on that cold, bitter night, to those despised and restless shepherds, it's exactly what our God did. He rended the heavens. If only we could comprehend afresh this morning what the Lord was willing to do to draw these restless outsiders into his rest. Where everyone else hated and ignored and pushed out these uninterested, unreligious, uncouth, uncivilised, unremarkable men, the Lord literally rendered the skies just to reach them. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it extraordinary? As they gathered outside in the cold that night, this happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. Oh yeah. An angel of the Lord, the glory of heaven, actually came down shining all around these shepherds. The might and wonder of a heavenly being was actually sent to these unworthy, sinful outcasts, it's no surprise they were filled with fear. This wasn't, yay, look, an angel. This was, we are done. Woe are we. As the carol says, mighty dread filled their troubled minds. They were the very last people that stood a chance in the presence of a holy being. And yet hear the words of the angel again to these now wobbly shepherds. Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you, you shepherds, is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Fear not, outsiders. I bring you tidings of comfort and joy. Born this day is a saviour from heaven. And you'll find him in your own world, your own mess. Not in heaven, but lying not far from here, in a dirty manger, in some hay. I cannot imagine what it was like for them. They must have been utterly overwhelmed how the depth of their souls must have resonated with every word. Finding it so hard to comprehend and take in, can it possibly be true? This was a message of unspeakable joy. The longing of all the years. Lord, would you come? He has come. And in fact, he's just down the road. Turn right, second left, and you'll find him. In a manger. Wow. The true salvation they were desperate for. The rest they longed for had come. And I'll be honest with you, just like Zechariah, Mary and Joseph, that one angel would have been more than enough. Wouldn't it? 
Really? An angel of the Lord? The glory of the Lord all around them? That'll do, right? (laughs) One angel encounter would leave any human shaken to the core for the rest of their life. I have no doubt. But, oh, God had other plans for these ordinary scruffy shepherds. I have no idea why, but God, in his wonderful love, decided, let's go big with these shepherds. What, bigger than one angel, boss? Oh, yeah, much bigger. What, three angels, four angels, an entire host. The armies of heaven. Let's send them to these four or five little guys quaking around their cold fire. Shall we do it? Boom! Suddenly, the Bible says, hundreds if not thousands of glorious, mighty angels surrounded the shepherds and in unison began to declare, Glory to God in the highest heaven. That's the up bit. He's far away. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. Can you imagine it? <laughs> I don't think you can. I can't. It's just too big to comprehend. Talk about using a sledgehammer to crack a Christmas walnut. My goodness. It would be like calling for help from the AA. Your car's got a flat tyre and turning around and seeing over the hill the entire British army rumbling over <laughs> with tanks and aircraft and lorries and squadrons and troops rumbling towards you. Where's the problem, sir? (laughs) Just my (laughs) tyre. Man, but it would be more than that. It would be more extraordinary than that. It must have been incomprehensible in its glory. And it was for these little shepherds. It was the Father's desire to draw in the outsider. And he was willing to do it all to declare that his son had been born. It's not God extraordinary. And as suddenly as they arrived, the host of angels ascended back to heaven. I think we miss so easily the utter overwhelming glory of what the shepherds had just gone through. I don't think there'd have been a single one left standing. They probably would have just been on the floor, um, shaken to the ground, lying there gobsmacked, mesmerised, until somebody probably broke the ice and said, are you all right? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Are you? Not really, no. I'm not quite sure what just happened there. Shall we go? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go see him. Friends, what would our God do to draw these restless shepherds into his rest? He would rend the entire heavens and send an army of angels just to draw in the very people society had pushed out. And if that wasn't amazing enough, what we discover next that he was willing to do, I think was even more extraordinary. He would actually invite them to come close and draw them into the most holy intimacy with himself because where did he invite them to go that would have been enough that was the big fanfare something is happening you don't need to know any more but glory no it was come and see come this way he'd invited them to enter into the most personal and holy space he'd invited them to come and see the first few moments of his newborn son's life 
as a pastor, one of the great privileges is that you sometimes are invited behind closed doors into holy moments. Moments at the end of life, when it's just the family there saying goodbye to a loved one. Mark and I had that privilege with May the night before she died. A quiet room with our precious May on her final journey, praying with her, knowing that Jesus was holding her hand and would take her to be with him. She knew his peace. She trusted him to the end. She ran the race well. She inspired so many of us. And now she's in glory with the Lord, who she loves, every tear wiped away. Extraordinary holy moment. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the passing of one of his saints. It was precious to be with her. There are other holy moments when you get to just hold the hands of the bride before they come up the aisle and say, it's going to be all right, you look beautiful. When you go behind the doors that have been closed and the walls brought up to protect an exhausted newborn mum and dad. Newborn mum, newborn baby, you know what I meant. (laughs) A mum and dad who just had a newborn, exhausted mum and dad. And it's, you can come in, Matt, come and see this little one. Oh man, and put your little finger out and a little chubby hand holds onto it, doesn't it? Your heart melts and you go, wow, what an amazing thing. This is what the shepherds were invited into. Father God invited these scruffy outsiders, not just in, but to draw in really close. Mary and Joseph would have smiled in slight confusion as they turned up and spoke about angels. But you can almost imagine the pride in the Heavenly Father's heart as he looks over his son, as the shepherds walk gently over to him. Have you seen him? Look at his little face. Look at his tiny little hands. As maybe they put a little finger near the manger and the little vulnerable baby held on tight. The Lord of all, the Alpha and Omega, the word that was with the Father in the beginning, now lay vulnerable, resting in some hay. And God, let these outsiders in to draw in close. There was no place on earth closer to God in that moment. It was more holy than the holy of holies in the centre of the temple that only the highest priest in the land was allowed to enter into once a year. Because here lay God incarnate. Here even the angels would have feared to tread. And Father said, come on in, shepherds. Come and draw close. And as they did, I have no doubt that they were changed forever. As they saw that vulnerable little baby and realised he was just as the angels had told them, their hearts would have been changed in the intimate rest and presence love of God and I believe God this morning wants to draw you and me back into the intimacy of his presence 
in the chaos and restlessness of Christmas all around, I believe God would say to you this morning, come in close. You're invited. For here and only here is the rest that we long for, the rest that the world longs for. Drop all your other priorities. Draw in close and be changed again in the presence of your God. I'll keep this bit short. There's a whole other sermon we could do about how after that moment they did have to leave that stable. They went out, but they went out changed. They were sent out unsurprisingly with utter joy. We read actually that the shepherds returned back. So their lives hadn't changed completely. They were still precarious and vulnerable. They were still scraping out a living. They still went back to the cold fields, but they had been changed. They now knew that a saviour who was going to change everything had been born. They had had one touch from the king and it changed everything. They had encountered a peace and a rest like they never thought was possible and they became people of worship and praise. Go tell it on the mountain. Oh, they did. Over the hills and everywhere. Jesus is born. God has done it. They praised him. They worshipped him. They glorified him at the things they had seen. Thou movest us to delight in praising thee. For thou hast formed us for thyself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. And so, friends, I want to finish with this thought. The extent God went to to draw you into his rest. In the busyness of the Christmas season, do you need to know that rest and intimacy with God? Be warned, there are many things that will seek to push you out. In the busyness of this life, the stress, the worry, the finance, the responsibilities, the health concerns, the daily demands, before we know it, we can be pushed further and further away from the one we were made to know and delight in. Caught in our busyness, trapped in our sinfulness, we can feel like outsiders again before we know it, desperate for a peace that simply cannot be found in candles and cushions and twinkling lights, lovely as they are. We can find our innermost being crying out, oh, that you would rend the heavens, God, and come down. Friends, here again this morning, that's exactly what he did. That's what he did to reach you. He rendered the heavens and he came. This is the extent he went to draw in an outsider like you and me into his most intimate presence and into his rest. He actually took on human flesh. He stepped into our brokenness and shame. He breathed our breath and ate our food and he even died our death. The glorious and incomprehensible wonder of Christmas is that our God rended, tore apart the heavens and he came down. Because of that, you are no longer an outsider when you draw near to God. You are welcomed in to the rest can only be found in him. Paul says, remember, 
at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded, without hope, without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Friends, it doesn't mean you'll always feel happy. It doesn't mean you'll always feel cosy or have an easy, cushy Instagram life. Sometimes life will still feel restless and fractious and like nothing's going right. But as restless and sinful and broken as we are, being drawn into the holy presence of God and knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are cherished by the Lord of all, is a healing and a rest that nothing else can offer. And I believe that God would say to you today, come outside come close. Come on, come near again. You don't need the stable. I'm here by my spirit, the Lord would say. Draw in. I've rendered the heavens. I've come even for you. I'm going to invite the band just to come up. So let me finish with the words of that old carol. God rest you, Mary. Let nothing you dismay. For Jesus Christ, our Saviour, was born on Christmas Day. O tidings of comfort and joy. Shall we pray? Lord, I simply pray that in this little moment we have now, you would draw us in and touch every heart here and online with the knowledge of your presence and with the gift of your rest, with a deep sense of your peace, knowing we are forgiven cherished and loved in Christ alone. Thank you, Lord, that you did more than we could ever imagine to come and reach us. Particularly pray for those who feel right now exhausted, burnt out, struggling and like an outsider. May they hear your voice saying, draw in, come close, you're welcome. In Jesus' name, amen.